What a week it's been. We're covering Evolve. We're covering Fight for the Fallen. We're covering Extreme Rules. The SummerSlam build begins. Bray Wyatt is back. And an interview with NXT's newest recruit, Stokely Hathaway. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. You know, I was going to start off by saying it's been a busy week, but at this point, they're all busy weeks. And you wouldn't have it any other way, would you? Welcome. Here we are once again. Not Sam Wrestling. You could set your watch by it. Happy Thursday or Wednesday if you're a Not Sam shill over on Patreon. By the way, I do want to uh, send a shout out. To start this thing to all the Not Sam shills, you can become a Not Sam shill at patreon.com slash Wrestling. Less than a dollar a week and you get a whole bunch of additional content. Uh, I said that this week that I would do, uh, maybe that it would maybe be on Tuesday or Wednesday that I would do a, a, a post show for Evolve and for Fight for the Fallen. It's just been so busy and I'll explain to you what I've been doing. And at this point, the shows have been days and days ago and, and stuff has moved on. So I didn't get a chance to do it. So instead, what I'm going to do, for those of you that are on Patreon, this Friday, I will have an episode of uh, uh, Captive Audience. An episode of Captive Audience goes up a- on the Not Sam Wrestling Patreon page exclusively for the Not Sam Shills this Friday, uh, it's where I'm going to sit down with somebody who's in my life, not necessarily a wrestling fan, and in real time, we're going to watch one of my favorite shows, and I'm going to try to explain to them why wrestling is so awesome. You can watch along with us, and you can listen to it only if you're a Not Sam Shill at patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling, all right? So that's the make good. Um, The reason I've been so busy is because, so, I mean, I go from... I was in Philly on Saturday. If I was home on Saturday and I had access to the Not Sam studio on Saturday, I would have jumped right in to the studio right after the show as I've done before and done a post show for Evolve and for Fight for the Fallen. But I was in Philadelphia on Saturday so I could wake up and on Sunday head right over to the Wells Fargo Center and be a part of the Extreme Rules kickoff show and be a part of the Extreme Rules watch-along show. Uh, Of course, had a great time doing both of those things. Um... Even though I had to deal with the Iconics again, not always the most pleasant thing in the world, but for the sake of professionalism, we do what we do. So on Sunday, I'm in Philly. After the pay-per-view, I go back to the hotel, sleep for, you know, three, four hours, probably three hours, wake up, drive from Philly straight to New York City so I can get on the radio 7 a.m. Monday morning, do the Jim Norton and Sam Roberts show where we had the bagel guy, you know, the angry bagel guy. He came in on Monday, uh, left the radio show, went home, said hi to the children, gave the wife a kiss, took a shower, put on a new suit, headed straight to Long Island, uh, where I went to Raw on Monday to do commentary for WWE main event. So if you're keeping track at home, you might be confused. What is this, a rerun? No. If you go to Hulu right now, the July 10th episode of main event, Watch it, because your boy, the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts, is doing commentary. This week's episode of Main Event, that was taped before Raw, watch that one too. Because two weeks in a row, your boy, the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts, is doing the commentary for Main Event. All right, so over the weekend, 
check on Hulu. I think it gets uploaded Friday morning or something like that. And you can watch uh, both last week and this week's episode of Main Event because I'm doing commentary for that. Monday night, drive home, wake up first thing Tuesday morning, right into the city. Ricky Gervais is there. We're doing the Jim Norton and Sam Roberts show back home. I mean, we just keep moving and moving and moving, baby. We're moving, we're shaking, and we keep it going. It's been a wild time, but it's been a fun time. In the meantime, I've been watching Raw. I've been watching SmackDown, Evolve 10th Anniversary, Extreme Rules, Fight for the Fallen, NXT. Good Lord, there is a lot of wrestling. Oh, and we're right in the middle of the G1 Classic from New Japan. Uh, We're going to cover a lot of that today in the state of wrestling. So yeah, it's a big time for wrestling. And by the way, after all that happens, the build for SummerSlam also started. Because we're only, I mean, SummerSlam's early. We're less than a month away from SummerSlam in Toronto this year. Which means we're less than a month away from TakeOver Toronto and SummerSlam 2019. I mean, good lord. Right after SummerSlam, you got to imagine Labor Day creeps up on you. It'll be September, and before you know it, WWE SmackDown is on Fox. AEW is on TNT. The wrestling world changes again. We're moving quick, baby. Let's try to just be in the moment. As all these changes happen, let's try to be in the moment and realize that all of us fans right now are a part of history. And quite frankly, these Not Sam Wrestling shows are documenting said history. We'll be able to go back because these shows, you know, they stay up forever. We've been on for, I don't know, almost 250 episodes, okay? That's years of podcasts every single week. And if you go back far enough, none of them are behind a paywall. None of them have been deleted. I leave every episode up. You can go back. If you have a couple weeks off this summer, I don't even know how many hours that would be. I mean... Probably somewhere in the, if you have 400 spare hours, probably around that length of time, you could go back and listen to the entire Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast slash Not Sam Wrestling catalog. They're all there. And much like other moments in the last four or five years, this moment is certainly a document in the changing wrestling history. And it's really, really interesting. And it's really fun as a time to be a fan. Uh, speaking of being a fan, I've been a fan of a guy named Stokely Hathaway for quite some time, or at least Stokely Hathaway is the name that I've always known him as. Stokely Hathaway, uh, he got his start in Ring of Honor, but he rose to prominence and, and gained awareness through mostly his work in Evolve. Um, most recently on the Independence, he started doing stuff with uh, Beyond Wrestling, but He really built a significant name for himself on the independent wrestling circuit and on social media as a wrestling manager. And in the 2010s, approaching 2020, being a wrestling manager and feeling relevant and new and and feeling what's next is not the easiest thing in the world. But Stokely Hathaway has managed to pull it off. I was very happy uh, a couple months back when I found out that Stokely Hathaway, much to my surprise, and that's no slight at him, uh, was on the list of recruits for the new class of NXT. If you go back a couple weeks, we did a bonus podcast with Riddick Moss that was brought to you by Robert Strauss. At the same time that Robert Strauss was brought in, Stokely Hathaway was brought in uh, as a manager for NXT. Now, at the time of this conversation, 
his official NXT name had yet to be announced. So at the time of this conversation, he's simply known uh, as the artist formally known as Stokely Hathaway, as, as his career in NXT and WWE continue, uh, his name will change. And, uh, and he will evolve into the performer, manager, representative that he was born to be. Um, now, you know, I, I, it was great to have some time to sit down in the Not Sam studio face-to-face uh, with Stokely Hathaway and kind of learn about who he is where he came from, how he got here, what his goals are, uh, uh, how he got into this world. Did he grow up a fan? Did he always want to be a manager? Did he, you know, what did he study in school? All kinds of stuff. Basically, if you've sat there and you follow him on Twitter, and if you don't, you should, uh, because he's a great Twitter follow. There's been a series of videos most recently uh, in which he's scouring the NXT roster and locker room trying to find out who stole his CD player. No, I'm not using that colloquially as in like, oh, it's just his mute. No, it's his CD player. He's got an Ashanti CD and a couple of other CDs, and he wants to listen to them. And at some point, he first blamed the Street Profits, who claimed no knowledge of of said incident. But he's got a series of videos uh, looking for his CD player and asking NXT superstars uh, and coaches either for help or if they had any involvement uh, in the theft. Uh, but he's done a lot of original sketches that he just puts out on Twitter. He films them. He gets uh, the, the the performers around him to participate in them. And then he posts them. And they're just hilarious. And it's the type of thing that, that really we should see more of. You know, I, I've always been an advocate for superstars uh, utilizing their social media. You know, I don't think... I'm not a fan of there being a disconnect between the character on TV and the person on social media. I'm a fan of of that crossing over because as a fan, you don't turn your fandom off after the show's done, you know? As a fan, you want to keep going with the story and and wrestling for better or worse, whether you're happy about it or not, is the most unique form of entertainment in the sense that people don't turn off the characters. Like if Brian Cranston were tweeting as Walter White on a regular basis, you'd probably think that was weird. But it's more comfortable and it becomes more believable to see Finn Balor tweeting as Finn Balor than if he said like, okay, Finn Balor exists on Monday Night Raw and I'm just going to tell you what's going on in the life of Fergal Devitt and how I'm friends with Kevin Steen. Like you don't want to know that as a wrestling fan. You don't want to see it. You don't want to know it. It makes it easier to get lost in the show when you don't see the real people on social media you see the characters on social media and i think you know there's example after example of storylines being heightened by the performers using social media to get the audience involved and that's what stokely hathaway does um even though he hasn't had uh, almost any tv time he's had a tiny bit of NXT TV time as the as the tournament uh, as the breakout tournament is progressing uh, at the time of this recording, uh, but he's used social media to really kind of create a buzz and help the NXT audience define who he is, and I think that that's only going to continue once he starts to really establish himself on television. My guest this week, sitting down with me in the Not Sam Studio, face to face, ladies and gentlemen. 
the performer formerly known as Stokely Hathaway. The Not Sam Wrestling Interview. For the first time here on Not Sam Wrestling, doing it the proper way in the Not Sam studio. Ladies and gentlemen, the man formerly known in some lives as Stokely Hathaway. What's the haps, man? What's going on? What's going on with you? I mean, it, it feels like uh, you're the man with everything going on right now, not me. I mean, I'm trying. I'm trying. Uh, you know, it's a lot going on in the NXT world, the NXT breakout tournament. Yeah. Which concludes in uh, Toronto. Yeah. So I've had my eyes on everyone. Well, it's amazing what's going on with the NXT breakout tournament because I feel like, and we've talked about this before, like every TakeOver special, you're going, and this is going back years, mm -hmm. you're looking at these generations of NXT classes and you can't believe the talent, and you feel like, okay, this is a moment. Like, NXT is having their moment right now, and all these moments eventually pass because people are going to go up to the main roster, and then it'll be the Monday after WrestleMania, or just maybe some random Monday, and the main roster will come in and grab all this talent, and you'll go like, okay, so NXT had their moment, but then you don't realize what's in the chamber. Yeah. And I think what this tournament is doing for the first time is going to everybody look. Like, I understand, like, we've been going off of what we've been going off of for the last year and a half or so, and it's been the best the product's ever been. But ta-da, look at these eight guys. And superstars. Yeah, it's incredible. And they're making everyone week by week. Yeah. I think Angel Garza is a perfect example. Uh, all he had to do was just take his pants off and the <laughs> universe I mean, loved him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I wish I could do that. I mean, I'd probably be booed, but... Right, you, know, you might be. Yeah, yeah. Or arrested. Probably. You don't know. Shot. But, but with Angel, they all loved him. And it's about opportunity. Same thing with Swerve and Cameron Grimes. It's the opportunity is there, and it's up to you to just take advantage of it. And do you look, do you, so you're in such a unique position, right? Because for the longest time, WWE, aside from maybe Paul Heyman, was manager free. Mm -hmm. And for the longest time outside of WWE, for like the last three or four years, you've been making a name for yourself primarily as a manager on the independence. So before any of this is happening, before any of this is happening with NXT, do you have, like, what are your goals in wrestling? Because it would almost, I feel like, be unrealistic to sit there and be like, one day I want to be a manager in WWE. Because yeah. I'd be like, they don't have managers in yeah, WWE. <laughs> like, what are you, what are you talking yeah. about, man? I mean, it's funny because all my close personal friends told me that WWE would never be a goal of mine you know well not a goal but they said it would never be attainable these are the people that you love the most exactly <laughs> yeah exactly. these are the people but you count true, on though, yeah yeah, yeah. It, if it was three or four years ago it was just impossible so when i first started out it was just to break into wrestling i'm i'm a type of person to where i make goals every year mm -hmm. it's not a long-term goal it's just let me see how much i can push this and move forward so at first it was just to be in wrestling just and doing whatever. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Just being a part of this thing. Yes. Because yeah. it's hard as is. You know, there's, I'm sure, hundreds of thousands of wrestlers, but how many actually have a name? Or how many can someone, you know, uh, say at a show? Right. And the goal is, I think, to be like a household name, but at the same time, you can still be an indie name. So right. Just a name that wrestling fans know is, is a huge leap from the average performer, right? Exactly. Right. So the second thing was just to have an any name and that came with Evolve. Evolve was was really the the showcase that brought me up to I would say wrestling stardom, so to speak. Uh Gabe sorry, Gabe gave me this opportunity and I just took advantage of it and 
that was the major thing. And then even when I was in Evolve, there were some moments to where I thought, hey, like maybe I could make it to WWE. Maybe you this did. was a possibility. Right. And I did Access. And that was 2018, so that was last year. And I went out there, and that was probably the most nervous I've ever been because I didn't – I think I was given my actual promo maybe like 10 minutes beforehand. And I remember pacing back and forth in the bathroom. And a funny story, I don't know if he will remember, but I'm pacing back and forth, um, and I'm just reciting the promo over and over and over. And I look back, and Mark Henry is in the urinal. <laughs> <laughs> Taking up like three of them. Yeah. <laughs> and he just, he just looks at me. And I'm just like, uh, and then I just walk up the rest of <laughs> And by that time, it was time for me to perform. And I was just walking back and forth. And I was with Chris Dickinson and Jaka. Mm-hmm. And normally, they're not nervous for me if there's a promo. But they were very nervous. <laughs> and I'll never forget, Jaka looked at me and said, hey, man are you ready for this? <laughs> and I just said, yeah. And then I had to start the promo behind the stage. And so as soon as I said the first word, it just, it clicked. And as far as I know, I went out there, I killed it. And I think that's what helped me get my foot into the door. But then I didn't hear anything afterwards. And so I think it was um, December. And by that time, you know, again, I talked you're talking about, about the goals. By the way, you're talking about April yeah. to December now. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd gotten to the point to where I left Evolve. Um, I was doing stand-up on the side just for buzz, and it was something that I enjoyed doing. And then I started wrestling. So I figured I needed to do something to help continue that buzz. Because I think the hardest part about wrestling is everything goes in cycles, mm -hmm. and the hardest thing is just to keep that buzz going. Right. So that's why I started doing the stand-up and the wrestling. And then all of a sudden, is that was like were you doing stuff for Beyond? Is that that period of time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And that kind of started in March. I think I wrestled Nick Gage and mm -hmm. I wrestled Chuck Taylor. But this was crazy stuff, like me wrestling Ricky Shane Page at Alpha <laughs> One and like a hardcore match, right. and a Canadian into a door, like all that crazy stuff. Yeah. But I just got a call in December, and it was, "Hey, are you signed anywhere?" And I was talking to a few companies, and I said, "Well, not now." And then it was. Triple H is looking for managers. Do you have anything you can send him? Just out of nowhere. I was at a bar. I was at a bar. This was a Tuesday in New York. Uh -huh. And I get this phone call. And then it's a text. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And, and I didn't really believe it. Right. So right. I even just, then. Yeah. Even then you're not like. Yeah, because, I mean, think about it. You're so far removed from the idea of I'm going to be a manager in the WWE. Yeah. That you're having hardcore matches with Ricky Shane Page. Yeah, like that yeah. couldn't be more... <laughs> Different. Like, it's almost course, like you said, you know, I can't just keep being an indie manager because it doesn't lead anywhere. So I got to start doing other stuff. Of course. Little did you know, they're sitting there going like, oh, he's a really good manager. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. And it's funny because New Year's Eve, I was doing Beyond and Timothy Thatcher pulled me aside mm -hmm. and he sat me down like a child and said, hey, you have to stop wrestling. You, you really have to stop. Which it was baffling for me. Why did you think you had to stop? Because it was not good for your health? Because it was not good for your brand? Because... I mean, I will take this as a compliment. Yeah. I don't think he meant it as like a, a backhanded compliment towards anyone else or towards me or, or what I was doing. But he said that I was too talented to wrestle. Right. That I was such a good talker and I was destroying the image that I had spent years making... I mean, it goes back to that, like, Paul Heyman ECW way of thinking where you 
completely hide the negatives mm-hmm. and do everything you can to accentuate the positives. Of course. Now you're in this position where you're so trying to figure out what to do next mm-hmm. that you're doing stuff that you're not that good at and less of the stuff that you were really good at. Of course. But right. it was working because it was such a freak show. Right. To see me wrestle right. against Nick Gage right. <laughs> in a handicap match. And my partner is Jonathan Gresham. It's the most <laughs> absurd thing ever. Uh-huh. And Gresham is on the side laughing, you uh-huh. know, like his uh like his arms are crossed and it was a spectacle. Yeah. So so in a sense it worked, but he was more so worried about me being hurt. And right. So it was strange. I couldn't argue. I mean who's gonna argue with Timothy Thatcher. Mm-hmm. So the plan was to stop anyway after that. And I sent my highlight reel and it went to Triple H in January. So I am actually texting with, you know, the the liaison mm-hmm. between me and Triple H and everyone else. And I'm at work. I'm at my real job. Mm-hmm. So the first text I get is, oh, they love it. And I'm like, okay, cool. Turn the phone over. <laughs> the second text is, uh, hey, would you consider moving to Orlando? I'm like, yeah, okay. And then the third text is, oh, what's your email address? They're going to make you an offer. <laughs> and so, and that's all one after the other yeah, after the other. And yeah, one just, day just, you're sitting at work. Yeah, yeah this went wow. from noon to like 5 o'clock. Wow. And so, again, I don't believe it. I have a conversation with um, talent relations. I get that initial phone call. And then the part that really worried me uh, was just, the fact that there was a background check and there's a medical and you know you have to be in in great health to work for WWE and rightfully so of course so it's everything is running through my mind you know I'm like oh did I not get this vaccine you know <laughs> when I was five years old right am I gonna give everybody in locker room polio yeah, like yeah, what's yeah, gonna happen yeah, yeah. here just, just all these dumb thoughts are just going through my head and so I think I got the initial um, full offer I think it was the end of February. Now, I hadn't quit my real job yet because I thought this was all going to fall through. Right. So I gave them two weeks notice. Uh-huh. The first week was me me actually there, and the second week was me working remotely because I had to move to Orlando. Going to Orlando. This is actually yeah. happening. Yeah, and even then, I'm just waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and then I think it was the morning of, I get it. no, it was the Friday before, I get an email telling me that, oh, they forgot to run uh, a blood test so I had to do that the morning of and you're going like this is going to be the test yeah this yeah, is like, going to be it? the test that goes yeah. like no we can't yeah. this is it this yeah is it. so I did the test of course clearly everything was fine and then I report and that was that it's even to this day when I walk into the PC I'm like you know is this is this, this for real, real thing? yeah, yeah. yeah and real. you and you kind of have that feeling of like okay at some point they're going to figure out I shouldn't be here and they're just going to throw <laughs> me out the door like it's just it's weird to walk into the locker room and Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano and Matt Riddle yeah these, like talented people yeah are sitting but beside it's, me I mean it's just this horrible <laughs> who talks for a living and I, I did like the uh, you know what the you know what surprised me though that you uh, you participated in the combine I was watching you on that rowing machine like I was never like, again never <laughs> you just again. wanted to prove that you're like hey man I'm athletic too I'm uh, no, like I knew that I couldn't prove that I was athletic, right. but, but I think I had to. I think when I first signed, I think there was a misconception that I was just hanging out at the PC. Right. The okay. reality is that I'm doing everything everyone else is doing. Right. And I thought that was an opportunity for me to show that I'm, that I'm, I'm committed to doing this. And you're there to work. What it is. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And honestly, I've, I've gotten in, in great shape. 
doing the combine and doing strength and conditioning and everything else has actually helped me bond with other people in the locker room. Yeah. Because it's it's that mutual respect. Yeah. I think if I sat on the sidelines and said, hey, because combine was optional, but it was it was one, a test for me, and two, is it was to show everyone that I am here to do the work. Was there something comforting in knowing that, like, because I'd imagine you get the offer and you're going to go down there in the locker room and everything and you go, oh, my God, I've been in wrestling for so long, but I'm going to this place where I don't know anybody. And then you realize that as you're looking around, it's like, I kind of... Yeah, I know everyone. I've known... Yeah, yeah these yeah. are all the people yeah. that I've been working with the last, you know, four or five years or so in different incarnations or whatever. And, and the kind of cream of the crop has all arrived right here. Yeah. It was wild. And the locker room was just so welcoming. Just the people that you will never expect i guess like you forgotten sons like they're mm -hmm. i probably shouldn't say this but they're like the nicest dudes to, me, <laughs> to, to you me. Yeah, yeah maybe they're looking for a manager yeah, though yeah it's possible that's it's possible. possible i mean i can't i can't speak to everyone else but but they've been extremely nice to me and welcoming and to me that that means a lot because i was just a new face i was just a dude walking in right right but i think that you know I'm, i mean i don't know i feel like there is a a goodwill toward you in the sense that people are aware that you've been in wrestling for as long as you have been and regardless of if you're in the ring or managing like i think everybody's kind of acknowledged that you're a really good performer true but i think regardless of where you go when it's a new place you have to prove yourself yeah. all over again yeah okay and yeah that's, and that was my mentality yeah that i know nothing i know a little bit but mm -hmm. it's my job to learn the wwe system and how they want me to do it and that was challenging. I mean, that was my first two months there is to take the independent version of me and make it the WWE version. Mm -hmm. and it's not, and I had to look at it as um, not 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 from a selfish uh, standpoint, just what I wanted to do and what I thought was funny or, or witty, whatever. It's what can make the most money for a WWE. And what can, yeah, what do you have to, my career? what do you have to offer this bigger product like how did not like how do i go out there and make myself the biggest thing exactly. it's how does how does how does what i do fill a puzzle piece in this bigger picture of everybody making the wwe into a bigger thing and i mean it's no different from working at any other company wrestling or otherwise like when you work for a company the reason the company is paying you is because you can add value to the company yeah. like yeah. it's it's yeah. a relationship yeah. that really works well for everybody yeah and to make money but it's 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 funny. A lot of people don't, they don't look at it like that. And mm -hmm. I think the one thing that really helped was the CD player bit. I thought, <laughs> I thought I was playing with fire. And then all of a sudden Triple H mentioned it on a conference call. Uh, and it was how he liked different people making their own content. And honestly, it, it, in a strange way, it helped make everything bigger. I know some people on the main roster saw it. I know some of, of the writers saw it. I know a lot of the, PC talent saw it, you know, it showed that I can take something so dumb right. and small that I created and I made something just go for weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's still going kind yeah. of. Yeah. I yeah. mean, months yeah. at this yeah. point. I think it started in April or something like that. True. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just this long thread. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I picked up on the CD player bit until way later. Yeah. And like I saw the, but I saw the first tweet. Because it popped up in my timeline, and I had missed it the first time or whatever. Mm. But the reason it popped up in my timeline is because everything's a thread. Yeah. So it was one of those things like you find a show on Netflix, and you go, 
oh my gosh, I can binge watch yeah, all the episodes like right now. Yeah, wire. yeah. It's Twitter's version of The Wire. Exactly. Just watch every single one. Yeah, you're like, yeah, it's a bummer that the show's off, but I just found this thing. I can watch all six seasons right now. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I wonder about the content that you do because, like, I mean, even for me, part of uh, probably the most, for me anyway, awkward or uncomfortable or probably the least pleasant part of doing this podcast is reaching out to people and saying, hey, will you do my show? Hey, you want to do my podcast? Hey, you want to come to my studio? Yeah. Hey, you want to? And I always think about you and the fact that you have to go up to people. Like, even something as silly, which I thought was hilarious, as the uh, uh, Coming to America bit. Yes. It's this 30-second yes. video. Yes. But, like, I'm thinking about it, and I guess I start thinking about it from a producer standpoint for whatever. And I'm like, there's, like, eight people in this video. Yeah. And they're all playing specific roles, and each one of mm -hmm. them matter. And I'm going, like, all everybody in this video had to not only agree to do the video... But you had to sit down and explain the vision to yes. them. You know yes, what I mean? Yes. You couldn't just be like, oh, we're going to do this thing and you do whatever you want to do. It's like, no, the the comedy will work if you do this and you do that and you do this. And you not only have to have the confidence to ask them to do it and to explain the bit idea and everything, but that it's actually going to work. Because if it's lame, that's it's, on you. Yes, it's yeah. on me. I mean, that that's always been the big hurdle. So the first few times I asked people, I think the funniest one was uh, Shayna, Shayna mm -hmm. Baszler. And I asked her, and she didn't get it at all. Because that's the other thing. People have to protect what they're yes. portraying on television. Yes. Like, yes. Shayna Baszler can't be goofing around about a CD player. Of She's course. the most dominant women's champion of all time. Of course. Right. But I keep that in mind. Everyone is in character, even myself. Yeah. And if I have to make myself the butt of the joke or the video, that's cool, too. But I told Shayna, trust me, it's going to work. So we filmed it. She thought it was kind of funny when we filmed it. And then once I put it together, because I did it, right when the show was going on mm -hmm. she, died. she died and then for two days straight she was like when are you going to post it when are you going to post it when are you going to post it to where i was intimidated i'm like listen i'm going to post it yeah, in yeah. A couple days. timing matters too yeah course. yeah and so now i think i earned the goodwill of anyone in the locker room because they know that it's going to be funny right so even with the coming to america video i pulled everyone aside and i said hey i have this idea and even diana and chelsea and karen they were like uh okay and so it just, it blew up. Of course. I, <laughs> but I don't know what it is. It's, it's, I'll just wake up and I'll have this video or this concept in my head and then I'll try to flesh it, it out. And yeah. yeah. But for the most part, it's, it's I would say 80% improv. Wow. With everybody involved. Every video. So you're, yeah, I mean, that means you're bringing out like probably talent that people didn't even necessarily know that they had, like comedic improv. I don't know if I can take credit for that. But. Well, maybe I'm giving you too much credit. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> but so when did you find out that it was like that that stuff was being well received, not just by fans, but by the office, by the locker room like that? that OK, this is actually mm -hmm. something because I would imagine I would think that that's something you're a little bit concerned about, that, you know, the fans are going to mm -hmm. dig this. Mm -hmm. But like if everybody around you thinks that you're a douchebag, it's like, I don't yeah. that that wasn't yeah. the intention. I think I think it was just in passing, just people saying oh hey that was funny mm -hmm. or it it being shared in like group chats or i i think once i noticed that people on the main roster started to pay attention i think the most eye-opening thing was big e tweeted about it mm -hmm. and he tweeted i hope stokely hathaway gets his cd player back <laughs> like, oh it really has spread right right yeah. especially because big e has yeah. become the king of twitter yeah, yeah. so it's yeah. like okay yeah. i got the co-sign from big e yeah. we're good to go it, and to me, that's that's when the ball really really started to get rolling. Yeah. So when you so when you started when you start in wrestling, the first kind of big thing you did was Ring of Honor, right? Mm -hmm. 
and you did two years with them. Mm-hmm. When you leave Ring of Honor and you just kind of venture off into the independence, that's got to be a pretty scary thing as a manager because it's one thing for a company like Ring of Honor. The thing about being a manager is, I mean, every indie company has like quote unquote managers, but there could just be some yeah. random guy that are doing Bobby Heenan's bits or whatever. Of course. But like to be an effective manager, you have to have storylines built in and you have to have people that you manage every single show sure. and there has to be this sort of sure. you know regularity to it right and so with ring of honor that would that's something you could do because there's shows every month or every three weeks or however often they were running and it's like there is this storyline yeah. going when you go off into the independence and you go well i'm going to be a manager i would imagine that's got to be pretty scary because you don't have a home base anymore it wasn't it was not scary it wasn't so maybe it's like a sick intuition that I have always had. But when I was in Ring of Honor, I didn't really do much. Right. And that's not a slight on them. It's just, I think, one, I wasn't fully prepared for the role that I was put in. And two, there was no real opportunity to to grow as a performer. Right. So, and they're so wrestling heavy anyway. It's like, course. you know. And at that time, there was like six or seven different managers. Mm-hmm. And it was just a lot. Mm-hmm. And everyone was trying to vie for for that spot, and I had the chance to work for Evolve, and I was pretty much given an ultimatum: Ring of Honor or Evolve. And so I chose Evolve, mm. and I knew that if I would have stayed in Ring of Honor, I I just would have been there. There would have been no opportunity to become Stokely Hathaway or to or to even be sitting here. You know, it just it was one of those things to where I felt like I like I needed to. To do it was the same thing with leaving Evolve. Mm-hmm. Everyone thought I was crazy, but I I knew that if I would have stayed in Evolve, and this isn't a slight on Gabe or or anyone there, I I wouldn't be signed right now. Eventually, you have to just and I, I hate this phrase; it's so cliche, but you have to bet on yourself and say, hey, you know what? These are all my chips. I'm just gonna throw them in the basket and see what works. I see. Because what does it become a thing where like okay, I've been in a certain place for so long that like okay, what I do is now, I don't want to say taken for granted, but it's like it's defined. I'll say yes. that. Like what you do is defined. So if you want to keep doing the exact same thing over and over again, it will keep you forever. You keep, yeah. keep doing that. Yeah. But there was there's no growth. Of course. Right. And, but with Evolve, there was there was nothing else for me really to do. Yeah. I think it was I managed TJP. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of me being in Evolve was to help him look like a star for the Cruiserweight Classic. So I did that which Gabe loved, Mm -hmm. and then it was a transition period because TJP left. And I remember Gabe asked me, hey, like, what what do you want to do next? And I pitched this, and I thought he would say no, and it was to manage Thatcher. Mm -hmm. So I wrote up this whole thing, and it was about, it's it's the odd couple. Right. He was this depressed champion who wouldn't even carry the belt because Catchpoint had it, Mm -hmm. and they were bullying him. So me, being the piece of garbage that I am, <laughs> I would manage him and I would carry the belt. But also <laughs> narcissistic, I would love to be the ball champion. Right. And it just worked. And that lasted, I think, maybe a year and a half. Uh-huh. And so I managed the ball champion within like seven, eight months. Right. Being there. Right. And then it was the tag team championships. And then I think Catchpoint had two or three reigns with that. So I had done almost everything there was to do in Evolve. Mm-hmm. And I think... Gabe says it all the time, you know, sometimes it's time for you to leave the territory and try something different. Is there more of a worry when you leave Evolve because you know that there is, I mean, you end up at Access to do that show. There's a cooperation. You know, you know, Triple H, William Regal, you know these eyes are on Evolve. Of course, WWE is aware of everything going on. 
to some degree or another, mm-hmm. some less, some more. Yeah. But we know, I mean, you know, Evolve is going to be on the WWE network. We know yeah. that the Insane. stuff that happens in yeah. Evolve, there is a direct path to WWE. theoretically to WWE. Mm-hmm. So to leave is almost like okay, I this I'm leaving that I don't want to say easy path, but that kind of path that's already been walked as well. True. Well, at that time, this was last year. Yeah. One thing that I didn't want was to be stuck. And I didn't it was it, it wasn't really clear what the relationship between Evolve and WWE was. I see. And I wanted to be signed. I didn't want to. I see. I didn't want to just work for Evolve. Which that makes me, sense. I had done that already. Right. You know, I was ready for, for the next chapter. So once I left, that's when I said, all right, I really have to move forward and do all of this stuff and to make myself a star. And that's why I started doing the stand-up. That's right, why right, I started right. wrestling. And it just all just kind of just, just took off yeah. from there. And, and yeah, and I mean, you can't really say enough about timing, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you know, you can't really put your finger on when's the right time to mm-hmm. do what, but but things tend to happen. Yeah. I mean, the timing worked out perfectly. My last match and beyond, which mm-hmm. was the main company that I was working for as a manager and a wrestler, it was against Eddie Kingston. So the storyline, which we didn't really get to finish, was the fact that I left Evolve and I was going crazy. That's why I was, I was wrestling. Mm-hmm. And so eventually I was losing my mind. Right. So when Kingston beat me, that was that was it. That was my last match in Beyond. Right. And he just powerbombed me on a bunch of chairs and Tim yelled at me afterwards. And I just went away. Yeah. Did you get how did you did you garner a new appreciation for hardcore wrestling when you started doing more and more of that stuff? Did you enjoy it? On any level, did you say to yourself, like, oh, this is why I should have been yeah. a manager? Yeah. I mean, no, I, I had a lot of fun. The only time when I was like, oh, like, this really sucks was that match against Ricky Shane Page. And this was maybe the first three minutes. Yeah. I was up top ready to hit the, the Canadian on him. Mm-hmm. And he went to slap me. But I turned my head. It was like a split second. And he caught me in the ear. And then it was just silence. I couldn't hear a thing. So the eardrum just completely ruptured. Uh huh. And that's right at the beginning of the match. Uh-huh. I remember I did a dive and then I went back to do a second dive and there was a huge miscommunication. For the second dive, I thought that he was just going to hold the chair up and drop it and catch me. He thought I wasn't going to, to dive all the way. So he swings it like a baseball bat. Yeah. And I have the clip on my phone that I can show you. And he just <laughs> wobbles me and he hits me so hard. I flip midair and land on the actual <laughs> chair back first. So it must look spectacular. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But that was a moment to where I just, I was like, what am I doing with my life? Like, right. Like, how did I get here? Well, and then the crowd erupted and I was fine. I was like, oh, this is like, great. Oh, I, I should be doing this. <laughs> yeah, they like yeah. this. I promise you there is more Stokes to come. But before we do that, I want to tell you about one of our most loyal, uh, longest running and favorite sponsors. Of course, I'm talking about SeatGeek. SeatGeek makes it easy in a world where it is becoming more and more difficult to figure out exactly how to get tickets to your favorite concerts, sporting events, wrestling matches, comedy shows, Broadway shows, whatever you want to go see, there's a million places to get tickets. You don't know if they're authentic. You don't know if the deal's good. You don't always know what you're getting unless you do it through SeatGeek. Millions of live event tickets all in one spot. You see, SeatGeek rates each deal on a scale of 1 to 10, and then they display them on an interactive seat map. Look, I have the app on my phone. It's the easiest thing in the world. WWE on Raw announces that uh, they're returning to Madison Square Garden. 
They're doing Raw and SmackDown at Madison Square Garden in September. I didn't even catch the date. Easy. All I need to do is look up WWE. It tells me everywhere WWE is going. If I put in my zip code, it'll tell me what's going on at Madison Square Garden. However I want to find it, it's easy to find. I'll be able to go look at an actual seating chart. It's so easy just scrolling around on my phone. It tells me what tickets are available and whether the tickets available are the best deal that you're going to find or not. So if you're willing to pay any amount of money for a certain ticket, SeatGeek is your go-to. If you want to make sure that you have a ticket, but you're getting the best deal humanly possible, SeatGeek is your go-to. It's no wonder SeatGeek has over 50,000 five-star reviews, not to mention, look, I think I've told you before. You know my guy Hot Dog, he helps me out with everything. He can't always be trusted. His first WrestleMania was just this year. He was supposed to go to WrestleMania 29. He went online. He got tickets from what he thought was a reliable source. He showed up at MetLife Stadium all those years ago. He spent WrestleMania 29 in a police station trying to get money back for his fake tickets, and he never got any money back. And you know why he got those fake tickets? Because he didn't use SeatGeek, which fully guarantees every purchase so you can shop with confidence. Don't be hot dog. Get your tickets from SeatGeek. Best of all, you can get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Yes, just for listening to Not Sam Wrestling. $10 off your first purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code. Download the SeatGeek app today. Use promo code SAM, S-A-M, for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code SAM, $10 off any tickets to any event that you want. Now let's get back to Stokely Hathaway. So let's say you don't get, you know, the call when you get the call. Let's say you don't have that conversation with Thatcher. Do you feel like it would have just kept going? Do you feel like uh, there is the possibility that that you start dipping into deathmatch wrestling and things like that? Like how far do you think you would have taken that thing? Well, the plan was, and maybe a handful of people know this, I actually was going to WXW in February. Mm -hmm. And I was going to train for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And that was going to be kind of the last hoorah mm-hmm. of me wrestling because I'd be learning from Walter and Thatcher and then the whole wrestling storyline would have ended in March and I had arranged to where I would have transitioned back to becoming a full-time manager. I got gotcha. you. Okay. But so there was there was an exit strategy. Yes, yes. But at the same time I had another offer on the table. So it was it was a really weird time from December to I would say February. It was yeah. like a lot going on. So yeah, that's so in interesting. Way. It's only three months. Yeah. But it's like, oh, like, like that must feel in your head like it's such a long time because so much stuff was in the air and so many decisions are getting made and oh, yeah, so much was, is happening. Yeah, I was stressed. In my, in my apartment here, the lease ended the end of February. <laughs> so, so that's she, like real life telling yes, you. Yes. you so know. she wouldn't let me stay, uh-huh. my landlord, unless I paid, I think it was two months rent. Mm-hmm. to stay for another month because I didn't know if I could pull off moving in time. And I'm like, yeah. that's insane. I'm not going to just pay you <laughs> two months rent for staying a month. Like, that's insane. But yeah. then she wanted I'll give you one month's yeah, rent yeah. for staying a yeah. month. And but... it was just insane. And then, no, no, I know what it was. She would have kept the security uh, security deposit if I would have stayed in yeah. and charged me for for that month's rent. And I so that was a sign from God just to yeah. make a decision right away and just to leave. And it all... It all worked out. Have you, and I'm not going to ask you to mention any names, so you can feel free to be honest uh, if it's not the most positive thing in the world, but have you had instances where, you know, as a manager, your job is is to get other people over, 
but a lot of this fun stuff is yours. You know what I mean? A lot of the stuff that's interacting with the audience, a lot of the mic stuff like that's yeah. yours. Have you had interactions with people who you were assigned to that didn't think they needed a manager or oh, didn't course. want? Yeah. Of course. And how do you yeah. handle that? Like, how do you, because you can't sit Can there. Can you curse on the show? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's my response. Right. It's, it's okay if you don't, like, it happened and evolved. Mm-hmm. It happened, I would say, maybe my first year I was doing all these different, it was a storyline of me trying to figure out who to get again because Thatcher went with, with Walter. Mm-hmm. It was like this really weird story to where Walter took my client and I was extremely hurt by it. Mm-hmm. And there were people who, I don't know if you remember the 30 for 30 that I did. Yeah. A lot of people didn't want to be a part of it. That that was actually the first video, giant video that I wanted to make and people just did not understand. And so I promised Gabe and Sal, I said, listen, just trust me to, to do this. Mm-hmm. It's going to work. And so I paid for that out of pocket. <sighs> and so there were other people in it and yeah. they just said, no, we think it's stupid. Or they had other weird demands and how they wanted to change it. And I just said, okay. And right. I just did it myself and it turned out better that way. And then of course a few months later it was, Oh man, like I wish I would have, you know, like maybe next time. It's like, no. I don't think I'm so. Good. Yeah. yeah. And it's weird if you I may have deleted a lot of those tweets, but if you go back and look at that time period, if there are tweets still up, that's when I started changing a lot of the graphics and promotions to to me mm-hmm. being the focus and as opposed to pushing whoever you were yeah. Yeah, but yeah. it worked. I thought there would be a lot of pushback, but it worked. But I think there is a balance. Same yeah. thing with NXT. When I was with Bronson Reed, it mm-hmm. was a thing to where it was the both of us. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just Stokely Hathaway. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just, you know, what other name I was using at the time. It's It was me and Bronson Reed. Like, we're a, a duo. Like, we're a squad. And, you know, if, if there is someone who says, I don't need a manager, it's okay. This is my job. I still have to collect the paycheck. Yeah, that's not on me. Like, you of don't course. have to tell me that you don't need of a manager. Course. Tell the people who are asking yes. me to be your manager. Yes, yes. and yeah. that's the promoter. But for the most part, even before I left, for anyone that I was paired with, they enjoyed it because as strange as it sounds, um, a lot of times I had a bigger following than whoever I was managing. So it actually helped them a lot. Mm-hmm. Like Christian Casanova, when mm-hmm. I was in Limitless, that was someone that I said, okay, sure, they they wanted me to manage him and I said okay it's my job to help get him over not just at Limitless but just overall on the internet and and in wrestling in general so when you get signed and you go to Orlando and you're in NXT and you realize like okay it take how long does it take before you start to settle in and go okay this is I'm here I think maybe it just settled in a few weeks ago. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because every day is different. Yeah, of course. Every day is different, and for me, I think if I get too settled, I don't, I don't ever want to get comfortable. Of course. I know for some people that's, that's like a good thing for them. But yeah. For me, no. You like so to every, stay on your toes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So every day I walk in, it's just I, I don't know what I'm walking into. Right. In a good way. I think we had a, this was the most surreal moment. We had a a show. For the PC, sometimes we do these mm-hmm. internal shows, and Triple H was there, Undertaker, Batista, and you look around, and it's like, this is it, this is it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna say the wrong thing. I'm gonna forget my promo. It, it's it's one of those things where you you really have to be on your A game 24 seven. How much time did you spend figuring out the difference between talking like you and talking like a wrestling manager does? Because I still to this day watch 
people do promos and it's like you know people who ask for like they they think that they need like these long promos mm -hmm. and then they start with like well let me tell you something yeah. well the thing about it and i'm like i've seen this like mm -hmm. before we mm -hmm. even know what this thing is about mm -hmm. i've seen it mm -hmm. already i yeah. know yeah. the cadence yes i know yes. exactly yeah. the rhythm in which yeah. you're speaking yeah. like i've seen yeah. this thing before how long did it take you to not go okay I grew up watching wrestling managers. I'm gonna do a wrestling manager thing and just go, this is what I do. I'll be honest, the main the main influences were probably black comedians. It wasn't, now granted I watched Freddie Blassie, I watched Bobby DeBrain, Heenan, and mm -hmm. Paul Heyman, and everyone else, Gary Hart, but it was Bernie Mac, mm -hmm. it was Robin Harris, it was Martin Lawrence. Mm -hmm. I studied the way they talked, and that was a, oh, okay. That's how people relate. They right. want someone that's that's talking like a real human being. Right. And those yeah. are the guys, by the way, that have the ability to stand up there for 60 Hours. minutes, exactly. 90 minutes exactly. plus exactly. and get you for the entire time. Exactly. And they were put in any role. They could do TV. Mm -hmm. They could do film. And, and they'd be they putting some of the most hostile stand-up crowds of course. in Death the Comedy world. Jam. Yeah. Like that, if you did Death Comedy Jam back right. in the day, you were solidified as a, a comedy great. And Robin Harris is one of my favorite comedians. Mm -hmm. Baby Kids is probably like my favorite uh, comedy album. And so it was a lot of that. It was a lot of that humor and, and getting that, that rhythm of that cadence down. And that's what I try to use in my And then promos. relating it over to a wrestling audience. Of course. Yeah. And it's it's been working. It's, it's kind of, of strange to say, but I think, and I will say even when I got to NXT, it was still an adjustment mm -hmm. because I, I still have to um, figure out how to do it for, for their crowds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, crowds that understand, like, you know, it's interesting, like humor and speaking in an entertaining way. Like there are certain cadences where people that are familiar with what you're doing are instantly going to be like, I know what he's doing. Mm -hmm. That's funny. Like, I like this. Yeah. And people that are from another world completely are going to go, I don't get this. What's happening? Of course. And you have to find that middle ground of going, how do I just make it so that everybody gets it? Mm -hmm. But I think that's why I'm grateful the fact that I, everyone has to do this, but some people start out on, on TV right away. Mm -hmm. I started doing the, what they call the coconut loop. Mm -hmm. So, we're somewhere in Florida every single night. Mm -hmm. And I had a long conversation with William Regal about it. Mm -hmm. And he said that it was okay to fail. I can I can try something different every single night. It's an issue if I fail and I keep failing over and over and over. But if I'm trying to figure out my rhythm and my groove and, and who this new version of, of Stokely Hathaway is supposed to be, mm -hmm. then that's okay. That's right. What, that's what the shows are for. Right. I mean, and that does go back to stand up in the sense that it's like a stand up that doesn't bomb is not a stand up. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's expected. And you get, when you get comedians around each other, the first thing they start doing is telling stories of colossal bombings. Yeah. When they're just going and, yeah. you know, they've been doing this for 30 years. Yeah. And, that's and they try something set. new and they get in front of an audience mm -hmm. and it just is dead in the water. And you yeah. go, okay, that yeah. was different <laughs> yeah. in my head. Uh, yeah. I can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's. That's a different deal, but you're right. If you're on live television, it's not really an option. Oh, that's it. That's it. And and the good part is we have writers. Yes. So in a sense, I've been extremely blessed thus far that when I work the coconut shows, I they will give me bullet points, but I'm allowed to write most of what I want to say. And, I'll, and I will 
recite it and I will rehearse it it for them and they will give me the okay. You know, there's minor tweaks here and there. Sure. But it's like you said earlier, just I, I learned and evolve. Keep it short. Mm-hmm. I don't need a six minute promo to introduce myself or anyone that I'm with. It, it's you give me, sometimes I'll try to in my head say a minute and then when you pause for the audience reactions or just little things that happen, it may go two minutes and a half. But that's the perfect length. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, word economy is a is a is a toolbox that yes. a lot of people yeah. leave behind yeah. and it's like it's pretty valuable. Yeah. You know, especially when you're dealing with live audiences there. They're there to see wrestling at the end of the day. Of course. Right? They, I mean, and and if if you're the third promo of the night, mm-hmm. you're you're in like a really tough spot because They've heard one version of this. They've heard another version. And then by the time you come out, they go, oh, no, another one. And right. so it's your job to keep them entertained and not make them resent the fact that they're listening to a third promo. So what wrestling did you grow up watching? I So I started watching at a really weird time. And mm-hmm. I think I've told this this story before, but I didn't – I wasn't a fan of wrestling growing up. <laughs> yeah. I have a brother. <laughs> it's odd to hear yeah. because like, like you're such a fish to water with it yeah. that you would think that it's just in your blood. No, no, yeah. no. I have a brother. We're nine years apart. Uh-huh. He's younger. And he was a big wrestling fan. So I didn't really get into it until this was probably mid-attitude era. Uh-huh. So for me, it was – and also – I was in high school and I'm trying to figure out what a Rudy Pukani ass is. <laughs> oh know? my God. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, why? Like, you what are know, you like, doing? Why are you pointing yeah, at, your, yeah, at your, yeah. that's not. Yeah. yeah. Like, why does this guy have his eyebrow up? The entire <laughs> class? Like, that would have made sense to me. This guy's flipping everybody yeah, off. Yeah, I don't understand. Yeah. It's so disrespectful. Yeah, yeah. It was such a disconnect for me. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Cause <laughs> I was reading Marvel and X-Men and you know, everything else. And so it wasn't until so were you a sports guy at all, or did you were a comic book? Comic book. That's comic it. Book. Comic book and stand-up comedy. Like, yeah. That was You're it. a stand-up comedy yeah, geek, though. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that was it. I mean, I remember sneaking in a Dave Attell CD, uh-huh. you know, because my parents would have been horrified for yeah. the stuff that I was listening to. But uh, I started watching it with him, and I'm like, oh, this is great. Yeah. All these guys are are assholes, and they're literally doing whatever they wanted to do. And it gave me, it gave me like a weird sense of, of self-confidence, too, because I'm like, if they can do that, then I can do that. Right. And then I started watching it and then how I really got into it. This is the real crazy part. I was in grad school because I wanted to be an actor. Uh-huh. So everyone had to do like a thesis project. And I'm trying to think the breaking point was someone did it was uh I think C. S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. They did one of his plays and it was the most horrible thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> and that was the option. It was either you, you directed a play or you were in a play. Yeah. And they chose both. Oh, no. And I said, I'm not going to put myself or anyone else through this. So I was home and then I think it was it was a Ring of Honor DVD. I think it was CM Punk. Mm-hmm. It may have been the best of CM Punk. Okay. CM Punk versus, I think, Homicide. Mm-hmm. I was just watching it and I'm like, you know what? This is an art form, clearly. But in my mind, like something just clicked. And the I storytelling like, starts to click yeah, in, yeah. the narrative, the whole thing, the structure of yeah. what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So I emailed my professors and I'm like, hey, I have this idea. And they all thought I was out of my mind. I feel like that's how a lot of your ideas start. Yes. Most people <laughs> yeah. around you going like, yeah. this is so yeah. stupid. Yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah. If you want to flunk, <laughs> you've already paid us yeah. all these thousands of dollars. Doesn't matter. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like whatever. So I trained to become a wrestler, and that was how I wrote my thesis. And so I, I originally trained Crazy Story with Mike Quackenbush, uh-huh. Cesaro, and Sarah Del Rey. 
those but, are my original trainers with the intention to not be a wrestler but to write a thesis yeah. on the process yeah and i remember i did that for it was like four months and i remember saying i'll be back and they go yeah okay because people were just quitting left and right right and i'm sure they thought i was the last person because clearly you saw the combine right? <laughs> so i'm sure you can imagine what my first four months of wrestling training was yeah like. i mean it's not like some of us are blessed with athletics yeah. some of us are yeah. i had to you know establish from a young age that i too could not be a professional in-ring competitor. Yes. I just didn't, I don't have the DNA for it. Yes. You yeah. know, I, mean, I get I, it. I would say just imagine a turtle with broken legs. <laughs> and that's probably the most accurate description. Trying yes. to flip over. <laughs> yes. But he can't even get the momentum of the legs. Yes. And I thought they hated me, but uh, I don't think they did because they helped me write the paper. Like I interviewed all of them. Uh -huh. And then I graduated and I came back the next year and they were shocked to see me. Mm -hmm. And then I kept doing What did the professor think? They loved it. They did. Yeah, they loved it. They they thought this was the greatest thing ever. Mm -hmm. So I turned it in. Uh, I remember I sent a copy to Cesaro, and I think the one thing that he said was, he was like, oh, oh, like I thought it'd be longer. <laughs> it <was good>. <laughs> <laughs> and then I continued training, and then there was an opportunity. So you continue training just because now you kind of fall in love with it. Yeah. It like, was... whoops, I thought this was just the, I thought that I was just doing this for a project, and now this is kind of, you know, I just paid all this money to be an actor, yeah. but... Oops, yeah. I just fell in love with wrestling over here. And I couldn't stop. It was it was probably one of the most difficult things that I've ever done. But for me, it was just like I had to keep going because I I was surprising myself right. when I could do my first Ford roll and not tear my quad. I was like, oh. Right. You know, it's progress and I can actually see. Yeah. And so I just kept doing it, kept doing it. And then once yeah, I got and I guess in the acting world, like, you could be the greatest actor in the world, but so much of it is just like, is this the right project? Does yeah. this audition work? Is today your day? Like, there's so little to actually quantify whether you're doing better or worse. Yes. But in wrestling, like, especially because you were non-athletic to begin with, yeah. like, when you start being able to do athletic things, you're going, I'm getting better at this. Yeah, yeah. And that feels good. Yeah. yeah. And the crazy thing, too, is, like, throughout that whole period, all my actor friends were were broke. They were dead broke. So I was slowly becoming more successful and also making money in wrestling, which for all intents and purposes, like it should not have happened. Right. But all my friends who were doing off Broadway and Broadway, they were broke. Right. You know? I mean, and I'm sure if I know actors too, they're probably like going like, Hey, how'd you get all those Twitter followers? Yeah, yeah. Hey, how'd you get yeah, all those people yeah, on Instagram? Yeah, like, you know what yeah. I mean? They start realizing there's a little following, even in the very beginning. Like, of the course. following obviously grows tremendously, but when you, I, I would imagine you start to grow this following. Yeah. And people that, I mean, at the end of the day, there's a few people that want to be actors for the craft, but most mm -hmm. people want to be famous. Yes. And when yeah. they see this happening, they're like, oh, what is he doing? Yeah. But that's, but that's what helped me get into stand up as well. The fact that I had this following. And mm -hmm. I remember. I did Busted Open, mm -hmm. and it was to advertise my first comedy show, and it was all of these wrestling fans. I'm like, oh wow! Like I, I, I think you know that that you may have support or or like a fan base, but mm -hmm. I think that was the first time that I really saw it, and it actually um, meant something more because it was something outside of wrestling, and to have people come to see me do comedy. They just support you. Yeah. Now, granted, it may have been to see me fail, which was, <laughs> was a bigger possibility, but you know, they were all there. Joey Janela was there. You uh -huh. know, The fact that you know he came to see me do stand-up, and right. he had just, I think he had broken his leg, so he's on crutches, you know, coming in to see me perform. Yeah. And it was, it was wild. Yeah. Yeah, it is kind of nuts when you realize, oh my God, there's people who support me? Yeah, like, yeah. 
Like, I guess I should keep. So do you have any, does any part of you though, like the deeper you go into wrestling go, you know, my passion was acting. Like I don't, or, or once you locked into wrestling, is that passion kind of locked in? I mean, I think I'm doing it. I think right. I have the best job ever. I think I'm doing both. I, I view wrestling as a performance, mm-hmm. at least with, with my part. So I have to get into character. And so it's, it's when I walk out there, I am a certain way. And when I leave, I am a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've noticed like the person that you see in these videos and on, and on the shows, it's, it's, it's like a completely different person mm-hmm. in person. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, it's something that I get into and it's, it's an art. It's acting right. for me, you know, uh, I'm sure some people may be offended by me saying that, but, but that's the way that I can, that's the way that I can, uh, trying to think of the right word. It's the way that I can, um, make everything successful for me is to look at it through that, that lens. Right. And, and also like, you know, you should be applying when you get a set of tools, Mm -hmm. you know, that you would get at grad school. Yeah you should be able to apply those to the things that you're doing. If you're yeah. sitting there and you're doing a job, you went to grad school right yes. now. You paid a lot of money. Yeah. Grad school's not cheap. And you're doing a job and you're realizing nothing I did in grad school applies to this whatsoever. Yeah. You gotta be sitting there going like, why why did yeah. I waste all that time yeah. and money, yeah. right? Yeah, like, pissed off to the highest level yeah. of history. <laughs> yeah. And it's crazy because I think I'm probably one of the few people who actually went to grad school mm-hmm. and I'm doing what I went to grad school for. Everything that I've learned uh, from vocal techniques to stage combat to production values to just just everything mm-hmm. has been used in wrestling. Does it bother you when uh, people in the acting world or in the arts communities don't take wrestling seriously? Not really, because I think it's one of those things where it's 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 hard for different forms of entertainment to appreciate one another. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's just whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. No, that no, doesn't bother me at all. So now that you're signing everything, do you sit there sometimes? And I, maybe you were doing this before and cry. No. But do, <laughs> do you do you watch do you watch the main roster shows or even NXT shows and start fantasizing about like, oh, if they paired me up with that person, if they paired me up with this person. Like, oh, we could do something there. We could do something here. Like, do those thoughts uh, go through your brain. Not really. I mean, I try to watch Raw and SmackDown, Two Hundred Five Live, NXT UK. I try to watch everything with the lens of everyone that I'm watching. They're on TV, and they're on TV for a reason. So, how can I up my game to reach their their level? I see. So that's yeah. That's the first thing that I have in my mind. It's not really like a fantasy booking thing because I don't think that I'm there yet. And even if I saw something great, like I I couldn't be like, oh hey, you know what? Me, me and Brock. I think. I think that's the move. <laughs> I think that's the. Move. Yeah, I think that's the. I think you know. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, the thing with time. Thatcher worked, and that was like yeah, an odd couple. Yeah, and me and Brock yeah, also yeah. would be odd together. So yeah. I think. Yeah, I think I we should. <laughs> I think we should do it. And now, and I mean, I know Paul. Now I've heard you're making some decisions. Yeah. So maybe I take over. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you'd be like, "What happened to uh, that guy? This, um, uh, no, I don't even remember his um, name anymore. Stokely yeah. Carmichael. What happened? <laughs> he just disappeared. Like I thought he was signed and everything. Yeah, but you more drawn on, on on that for inspiration of going like like wow, these people are yeah. excelling at what they're doing. Yeah, Kevin Owens has been a huge help since since I mean years ago, but but especially now. Mm-hmm. And I he's one person that I specifically watch. Because he's so good mm-hmm. at what he does, and and for me, it's like that's that's the level of of promo work, or just just even just 
like his facials to like his body language. Like that's that's the level that I need to be at. So when I'm watching these shows, it's really to to say to myself, okay, how can I take something that they're doing mm -hmm. and and try to not not copy, of course, and mm -hmm. not and not emulate, but but they're doing something. How can I how can I find my my tricks right. or or you know my little um, my little quirks that I can show on camera that can make me a WWE superstar. So when we were talking about managers and stuff. You brought up not just kind of the 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 '80s classics, the Bobby Heenan's and Jimmy Hart's, but you were mentioning Gary Hart. You were mentioning mm -hmm. a whole bunch of people there. When you started to really dive into wrestling, because it was later for you, did you just go back and start consuming everything? Yeah, you had to. Yeah, because. One, one one big thing that I try not to do is I will watch it, but I can't watch a lot of it at at one time because mm -hmm. I think we all have the habit to kind of like copy or to or to pick sure. up. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like even even with Paul Heyman, I will watch him, but I won't watch a lot of Paul Heyman at one time because I don't want to cut a promo and start saying my name is blah blah. Right, these are my clients. Because it'd be so easy because he sounds so of good. Course, it's, of course, yeah. of course, and that's his thing. Yeah. that's his thing. And you know, unless I was paying tribute to him, but I think it'd be highly disrespectful to to do something like that. Right. So for me, it was you know, in, unless I was specifically assigned, like I worked for um, one company at this point, and I was and I was I think the second gary hart like that's kind of what they wanted me to be so so of course i'm going to try to pick up little things because i was specifically told that's what they wanted me to do mm -hmm. but for the most part it's you know i i went back and i and i saw okay like this is this is what a manager is supposed to be yes so you know let me let me try to figure out my own way about um about doing it what do you think about sweet and sour larry sweeney He's one of the best. Yeah, I mean, that's when, because I was thinking about you today, and I was like, who does, if, like, there was any comparison to draw from, and I, I mean, I always think, you I know. I know, that's high praise. I, I know, I know I've it's probably uncomfortable like for before. you, but that's that's yeah, where I, I start, because I, I often think, like, how far could Larry Sweeney have gone, and I mean, I think. He would have been signed. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think he might yeah. have brought back managers, Years you know. Ago. Yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. But also. It's funny that you said that. It's I think you have to give credit to Zelina Vega and also 100%. To, to Drake Maverick. Yes. Because, yes. And also Leo Rush. Because yeah, they, absolutely. They ushered in this this new era of of managers in WWE. And all and, three of them are so. I mean, they just became so undeniable. Yes. That you you're just immediately. I mean, Zelina Vega from Jump Street was like whoa this yeah. is this is like a whole nother it felt yeah. like anything that got thrown at her yeah. she was gonna make better yeah. like i think she's incredible watching drake you know kind of come on to wwe and you'd go like i didn't i did not see that signing happening yeah. and then you're going like oh okay for 205 live i get it and you watch him become like a highlight of raw he's killing it it's he's amazing it. it's yeah. amazing what what all of those performers are yeah. doing and so they ushered in yeah this this opportunity for me to just get signed and yeah. and I appreciate it. And it's nice too that that I feel like as a WWE and it's got to be nice for a person who's in the position that you're in. I I do feel like that as WWE is kind of slowly bringing back the role of manager because mm -hmm. they're not managers, you know, everybody's got different yes. titles and mm -hmm. but I actually like that everybody has different titles because I feel like 
there was a time when it would just be okay we have a bad guy let's put him with some manager and, yeah. and we'll just do it like that's yeah. just it's a formula and now it makes sense like there's a reason it's not like Zelina Vega is just this evil woman with this stable mm-hmm. of bad mm-hmm. guys it's she's a like, business manager yes she, this is my client mm-hmm. I am a business manager of this person Paul Heyman is not like here's the Heyman guys He's it's advocate. like yeah I'm here to advocate for Brock Lesnar he hired mm-hmm. me to advocate for him yeah. and I feel like the same way you know, you're you're in a position where you know that once once you you find exactly what your niche is going to be, I think it'll it, it's going to make sense. Like we can have faith that it's going to make sense. It's not just going to yeah. be a manager for the sake of being a yeah, manager. That I'm just a guy. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's and that's something that that we've been working on. Well, and when I say we, I mean me and everyone on on the creative team is how to figure out how to name me and you know I came up with with something and and I think it was I had to it was one of those things where and I appreciate this they didn't get it at first so I had to try it on different live events and they got it mm-hmm. and I I would make videos and send it you know send it to them and then they they kind of got it and then slowly but surely they're like oh I know exactly what this is so hopefully it will make it to NXT but it was one of those things it was you know let's let's try to figure out something different to where I'm not just a a manager but I mean even then you probably go back into grad school because what actor doesn't put themselves on tape to audition yeah like it's the same it's literally to. the same thing and you have to and, and the one thing it's crazy the one thing I was told is when you get to WWE like you don't have to worry as much like you know you know get rid of the indie hustling mentality but I think it's the complete opposite yeah is the complete opposite. I will film stuff all the time. I will film videos. I will film promos. I will come up with ideas and not in a in a pestering thing, but it's me going, this is what I have to offer. Mm-hmm. I can be funny. I can be serious. I can be aloof. You know, all these different things because that helps make their job easier. Yeah, and it also lets them know there's no reason to take for granted that they know everything that you're capable yeah. of. Like that would be pretty egotistical on your yeah. part to just be like, "Well, I'm here. Yeah. Can't you guys just look at me and yeah. tell that I'm yeah. great at everything? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. you no, should." No, it's like no. It's like I can do all of these things. Yeah. Like, what do you think, please? And if and if they don't like something, it's like, okay, cool. Let me no go problem. back to the drawing board. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's what the PC has to offer. It's like you're back in school. Like right. it's your job to train and learn and come up with ideas. It's not you just show up. It's like I'm here. Right. I got my contract. Put me in my spot. Yeah. It's like, like, no, yeah, no, yeah. No, you have to work for your spot. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Do you practice facial expressions in the mirror? I used to, not mm-hmm. as much anymore. Because you got I, your, yeah. you got them locked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got them down. Yeah. And do you have a, so do you have, how did, how does, how do you work with memes? Do you have a folder on your phone full of memes? Do you have all your references that are just in your head and goes in my head? So you then, go that yeah. there's a scene in a movie, yes, yes. and this would be a great spot for this scene for yeah. this person going hmm. Yeah. Do you know how many times this is before I got signed? Of course, I would just Google Pookie from like New Jack City. But then I would just lose the photo. <laughs> I can't do it anymore now. But no, you can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but like that was my go-to. I'm like, oh, this is a really dumb tweet. Let me screenshot. Right. It. <laughs> put Pookie beside it. <laughs> but yeah, so because yeah, I'll, I'll sit there and I'll go like, I wonder if he has like a a special folder. For just replies, do you have a facial expressions folder? No, you don't. No. Yeah, it's just it's it's. I would say maybe 
I'm trying to think the last time I looked. I think it was like 5,000 images. <laughs> <laughs> just in my Twitter folder. And I'll just go and just scroll. What's appropriate yeah. here? <laughs> yeah, but I have my favorites. I have like, uh-huh. you know, some photos, favorite it. And I'll just go back and just. So like where some people, like on my phone, if you go through my favorites, you'll see like a whole bunch of pictures of my kids. Yeah, nah. You see one of my dogs. It's just memes. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, just memes for yeah. you. Yeah. But you're crushing it in the meme game. Thank so you. it's like, Thank you know, it. yeah. obviously you're doing something right. I hope so. You know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No one has told me to stop yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also, I mean, you, you're, you're, do you feel a responsibility to keep that sort of uh, pop culture education up to date? I mean, I, I feel like you have to. Although, you've done a very smart thing by leaning into like 90s. Yes. Yeah. 90s yeah. culture, because it's like, that's, again, it's just like the facial expressions. Yeah. That's locked in. Yes. Like, you're yeah. good on that. Yeah. But I still feel like you do bear a certain responsibility to have an awareness that other people don't need to have. Uh, sometimes. I mean, I do think it is my job to be entertaining. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing that I've kind of struggled with. It's, it's, and I'll be honest, it has been, am I too entertaining? Like, will this take away from whoever I will become on NXT television? Oh, because they won't take you seriously because they're waiting for like a yeah. Bone Thugs and Harmony reference yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. but I think, I, I think it's all about finding that perfect balance. And yeah. that's why... That's why um, I've changed some of the stuff that I've put out there mm-hmm. um, in hopes of, of, of leading to that to that direction. But as far as like educating people, yeah, kind of like today was the anniversary of, of Paid in Full. Mm-hmm. So I retweeted that because right. I'm sure most people would have no idea, like the coming to America. Video. Right. It's just that stuff is in my head. And I'm like, well, why not share it with the people who follow me? Because... I'm guessing that they follow me because they have similar interests. Right. So, Or at least like you referencing yes, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So did you grow up watching a ton of movies too? I did. I yeah. Mean, it was just pop culture nonstop. all the time. Yeah. Nonstop. Yeah. 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 I'm the same way. That's why I sit there like every single yeah. reference. I'm like, yep, 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 <laughs> yep. It's fantastic. I think, I think it was Sanjay Dutt. He told me one day, he was like, dude, I just, I love your Twitter. He was like, it's just, it. and he was like, how old are you? <laughs> he was like, okay, yeah, that checks out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, about right. Yeah, I think he thought I was 21 or something. I'm right. Like, nah, man. Like, I, yeah, yeah, yeah I like it. you just research yeah, back and yeah. try to pull out. No, no, you, I could tell because some of them, like, I'm like, this isn't a, 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 a retro reference. Like, this isn't a reference because this isn't something people talk about anymore. Yeah. Like, this yeah. is something you it's only had in your head <laughs> yes. if you were alive at the time. Yeah. This isn't like, oh, remember, like, nobody says, remember this. Yeah. But it's in your head. Yes. So it'll be there. Yes. Yeah. All the time. It's yeah. just all this stuff that, that most people would hate is just going yeah. around in my brain. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. I feel like we could do a whole nother show on comedians and movies and whatnot. Yeah. And at some point we will. Um, but I appreciate you making the time, man. Of course. This of has course, been great. Um, um, do I get paid now or are you going to? Um, We'll do like probably a, like a cash app. What about cash type thing? Because I'm well, I'm not like super liquid now. Okay, but I have like. A, so how about I take that monitor? That's screwed in. Then, There's no. But I'll. I have. I have a lot in uh, like Venmo. Do you uh, do Bitcoin? Actually, I do. Then we're good. Okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. Yeah, I have a lot in Bitcoin. We're fine. We're good. We'll be good. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me. Hey, guys, don't forget, if you're looking for even more content from Not Sam Wrestling, the place to go is patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling. Become a Not Sam show for less than $1 a week. 
Think about all that you get. You get bonus audio shows all the time. You get the podcast early. You get the podcast ad-free. If you want to go up to the video tier, you'll get videos early of every interview we do. You'll get videos of every state of wrestling. You'll get videos of the bonus shows. You want to go up another tier. You're going to be able to watch the state of wrestling live every week. You're going to have access to all of our live bonus shows, like post shows and things like that. You can get exclusive merch. You can, with every tier, Every single tier gets access to the Not Sam Wrestling Discord room. It's the coolest wrestling place on the internet. It's a great community of wrestling fans that are all wrestling fans. None of the complaining, none of the nonsense, just cool wrestling fans, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in that Discord room, and the only place you have access to it is at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. Become one of the greats. Sign up at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling today. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. State of Wrestling time here on Not Sam Wrestling. You know what we do each and every week on the State of Wrestling. We count down the top five stories according to yours truly, the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts, uh, and we count them down in an order that I pick. Can you believe it? What a world that we're living in, and what a lot to go over this week. Uh, I guess we'll start with story number five, which, I mean, I guess technically I could have lumped four and five into one super category, but I figure we'll kind of just go by, uh, we'll kind of go chronologically. Story number five is going to be Saturday night, is going to be Evolve's 10th anniversary show, and is going to be Fight for the Fallen, uh, the AEW show that was on Bleacher Report Live. Um, the Fight for the Fallen was another free show, much like uh, Fighter Fest was. Uh, and it is the last AEW show before the big all-out pay-per-view. So I guess we can start with, with that show. Um, I don't know how many people watched it or any numbers like that, but we really don't do that stuff uh, on this show. You know, I think with each show, AEW is definitely starting to establish their brand more and more. And I think that that's a really good thing. You know, I think it's going to be a nice way to have at least a little bit of foundation going into the TNT TV show. There's a little bit of company history when the show starts. I do, I am still a little bit confused as to why there aren't more elements on the show. You know, I I do feel like, for instance, uh, the main event, great match, Cody and Dustin versus uh, the Young Bucks. And there were these allusions to trash talking that had been going down on being the elite. I don't understand why. I like that there is kind of references to being the elite. I like that there's a coordination, that the storylines happening on being the elite cross over to the goings-on of AEW. I think that that makes sense and keeps everything a little bit cohesive. But... As somebody that maybe doesn't watch Being the Elite every single week, which I think are going to be a lot of people, especially when you're on TV, I don't know why there aren't video packages kind of showing. Like, before a lot of these matches, I think we should have some video packages showing what's happened on YouTube that we may have missed, what happened at Fighter Fest. I'm sure there are people that were watching on Saturday that didn't watch Fighter Fest. I mean, and vice versa, but you can't show packages of shows that happened in the future you can show packages of shows that happened in the past you know i think it would just help tell the stories and help familiarize you know even even as big as uh double or nothing was 
I'm sure that with the internet buzz that AEW has around it, that there were people watching Fight for the Fallen, and it was the first time they'd ever seen AEW. So I do think that AEW is, is like I said, they're building the brand, and they're establishing what it is. I think so far, every show is a home run when it comes to matches. When it comes to actual wrestling matches, you can't really complain about AEW shows. You're going to see great matches. I mean, look at the talent that they've got. You, they know what they're doing. I think it just be, it just uh, breaks down to the storytelling, you know, is, is, is explain to me kind of what's going on. Like, let's see some footage. If you're going to do media scrums after every show, which I think is a good idea, they pop up on YouTube, you know, have an AEW camera back there. Let's see footage from the media scrums uh, on the on every pay-per-view. Let's see footage from Being the Elite. Let's see footage from the last show. Let's really start to show what we're building show to show. You know, I think that uh, I think that Kenny Omega and Simo was probably the best match. Um, Six-man tag was good. You know, everything was really, really solid on this show. I think it was cool that uh, they had they were outside and had that amphitheater look going. You know, it was something different. Um, yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's not a show that you can really complain about. It was a good show. I just wish, number one, stories were told, and number two, you felt like the accelerator was being pumped on as you pushed into uh, All Out. You know, I understand that these shows are really more live events and really more warm-up shows, but, you know, I think if you had treated both this and Fighter Fest a little more like a big pay-per-view, then people would just get more and more excited about these shows, you know? So, um, yeah, that that's what I think. Um of course, uh, you know, the librarians were still part of the buy-in, and there was a YouTube clip of uh, the Young Bucks acknowledging how they're getting booed, but how they're trending, and it kind of goes back to the conversation of go-away heat versus real heat. You know, I kind of err on the side of real heat is real heat. If you're getting booed, then it works. You're a good, bad guy. Except the librarians are a little weird and out of place, when you're bringing your promotion around the the sports and the athletic element of it and kind of getting away from that more character base but we'll see we'll see i mean i'm i think that we also have to be a little bit patient and seeing how things pan out um i and and you know and i i still think that they're a new promotion that needs to get their uh production work down pat you know one thing that you can see from watching both evolve and from watching AEW is that you you should be able to take some time out and really compliment WWE on their post-production work, on 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 all the production elements and and how smooth their live shows work. Of course, they've had years and years of experience and they they put on so many shows every single week that, you know, it's second nature to the people doing it. But if you look at at Fight for the Fallen and you look at Evolve, one thing you can say is that nobody is even close to WWE in production value. And AEW is is putting money into that. They're still not close. And and Evolve is even less close, but you know, Evolve isn't really in the conversation to to be close. Evolve is an independent organization. It's a small group. They're not trying they're not proclaiming themselves as a national promotion. One thing that I thought was interesting about Evolve on Saturday, first of all, also 
a really, really great show. Um, I think my favorite match on Evolve was probably Drew Gulak versus Matt Riddle. Um, you know, just to be able to see Drew Gulak show the world and show a WWE Network audience who might not have known before what he's truly capable of. And for the Catchpoint group to be shown the way they were shown, I thought that was super valuable. Um, I thought that was really, really good. I was surprised, and I think ultimately pleasantly surprised, at how little the WWE had to do with producing that show. That it was very, very clear that WWE was really just a distributor. That it was an it was a, it was an evolve produced show. It was cool to see Paul Heyman do his cameo at the ECW arena. That was really cool. Um, yeah, but it looked like it was a show that Evolve had produced, and I actually think that that for me as a fan of the Indies, that added to it. You know, if I watched an Evolve show and it was super polished and had a WWE sheen to it, I'd go, you know, it's cool that these guys are on TV, but this isn't really Evolve. This is a WWE show that Evolve guys are on. Um, You know, I I think that the uh, Evolve championship match, Austin Theory and J.D. Drake, I, I think that that was really a spotlight, and that was... I think we're the the fact that this is the first place that we saw Austin Theory on the WWE Network is going to be a trivia question. You know, I think Austin Theory, much sooner than later, will be on the WWE roster and is going to make a big impact. You know, I couldn't believe when they said he's like 21 years old or however young he is. He's super young, which I didn't even know. And it's just all upside with him. He's he's he was amazing to see, and I can't wait to watch him develop in WWE where, you know, I'm sure he's not only going, but he's going to, he's going to do extremely, extremely well. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think that you would compare, uh, evolve at AEW. I think that AEW is positioning themselves as a national, if not international wrestling promotion with big money behind them. And evolve is what evolve is. It's an independent group that the WWE sees, potential in in terms of uh helping find the next great talent you know wwe marked evolve publicly as the spot where the best of the best independent wrestling takes place but it's still independent wrestling i think it's a win for for the industry when you see a truly independent wrestling show on the wwe network this is something that's been talked about for a long time whether, uh, you know, tiers will eventually uh, be introduced, whether other promotions, catalogs will be produced uh, or, or will be shown. WWE has a ton of content on that network from uh, promotions that are no longer active. They just added a whole bunch of ECW shows. I'm still waiting for Born to be Wired to be added. I don't know if it ever will be. Main evented by Sabu versus Terry Funk in the barbed wire match. But the minute Born to be Wired is added to that network, please, somebody send me a tweet or something, because I can't wait. Um, but, you know, they have all the old territory stuff, of course, WCW, everything from ECW. Um, but to see an active promotion be represented on the WWE network is really, you're really seeing the WWE take shape as being what I believe it's wanted to be, and that is the face of pro wrestling. You know, and that's that, I think is the one of the bigger things that AEW presents is that it is separating itself and saying WWE does not represent pro wrestling. And at the moment, obviously they're right because they're going to be on TV, but ultimately we'll see where it lands. Story number four, 
is Extreme Rules. Extreme Rules went down on Sunday. I thought I thought Extreme Rules was actually the best show of the of the weekend, and I might be biased, but I thought Extreme Rules was a very good pay per view. I thought it was certainly better than uh, than the last pay per view. Um, yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was quite good. I thought the Brock Lesnar cash in was well done. I thought there were a lot of surprises. Nakamura winning the Intercontinental title. Uh, AJ Styles winning the United States title. New Day winning the tag titles, I thought, was a surprise. Seeing Daniel Bryan get pinned like that. Um, you know, I thought that uh, a couple of things. So as far as the cash-in goes, I heard some people saying that, well, some people thinking that it was going to go a different way. First of all, I'm really glad that Brock Lesnar won the Universal Championship. And I'll tell you why. It has nothing to do with Seth Rollins. It has everything to do with the integrity of not only Brock, but the money in the bank briefcase. You know, I I think recently there have been a lot of failed cash-in attempts, and some of of them get wonky. I think that everything that happened with Braun Strowman and the cash-in and and Braun Strowman's run as as the monster in the bank did not do any favors for the money in the bank briefcase. If you're going to give that briefcase to somebody as big as Brock Lesnar— and by big, I mean not only in stature, but in importance, for lack of a better term. Uh, you got to have him win it. And I love that this time, even though that Paul Heyman said it was going to happen, he also said that he could be lying. So it was almost like those frustrating first few weeks when they kept teasing that the Money in the Bank briefcase was going to get cashed in, and then it didn't. Um, those first couple weeks... It made it worthwhile. There was a payoff. I think that we were all getting a little bit frustrated because we're used to them. You know, the the it felt like they were sort of just teasing that the Money in the Bank briefcase was going to be cashed in for ratings and then it wouldn't happen. But in reality, long term, what they effectively did was they created a scenario where as an audience we were going, yeah, but Paul Heyman said he might be lying and he's lied before. The and he's lied before part is super important. Because we've seen the Money in the Bank briefcase be promised, and we've seen it not surface. So, you know, I, I liked that that it was it was teased, and there was doubt over it. Um, and the fact that he cashed in, I think, is a good thing. Uh, we're going to talk about SummerSlam later on, so we, I, I don't want to go too far off the range. Um, so I'm glad, you know, some people, a lot of people were saying that, oh, I'm surprised Becky Lynch didn't low blow Lesnar or interfere or something like that. Which I'm glad she didn't, because I wouldn't have wanted, and I wouldn't have wanted Seth to beat Brock again in a wonky way. You know, I wouldn't. He already hit Brock with a low blow at WrestleMania. It wasn't the closing move, but he hit him with a low blow. And I'm so tired of good guys winning the title with a low blow. You know, Seth Rollins was hitting people with steel chairs. It's like you got to be able to, against all odds, still fight with honor if you're a good guy champion. And I think. Having Becky interfere on Seth's behalf and having Seth beat Brock Lesnar that way would have been a little bit too much. So I'm glad that that happened. Some people were even saying that Becky should have turned on Seth. Like, it's so stupid. Please stop suggesting that because Becky's not turning heel. Becky is is the top good guy women's wrestler in the company, okay? Like, WWE went for it. WWE, I believe before last year's SummerSlam, was clearly angling to have Charlotte be the top good guy in the women's division and have a Charlotte-Ronda Rousey match happen at WrestleMania. 
the WWE listened to the audience and they changed plans and they went so far as to not only have Becky Lynch, who was turned on Charlotte, when, when Becky turned on Charlotte at last year's SummerSlam, that was not a Machiavellian move. That was not some move where they were like, okay, we're going to turn her heel, but we know the fans are going to cheer for her. So in reality, no. They turned, in my opinion, they turned Becky Lynch heel. And the fans reacted how the fans reacted, and the WWE reacted to how the fans reacted. It was exactly what we as an audience have been asking WWE to do for years at this point. They did it with Becky Lynch. Not only did they turn her into a good guy, and acknowledged our cheers. Not only did they put her in the main event, but they put their person who they had decided was going to be the good guy, and they made her a bad guy. I mean, listen to Charlotte up to SmackDown this week. She's still a bad guy. So the idea that they would turn Becky now is like, you know, what do you want? What do you want? for, For WWE to listen to us Make Becky the top good guy in the company, only to turn her again. And then who's going to be the top good guy in the company? Who is the top good guy in the company if not Becky Lynch? Specifically in the women's division. But you could make the argument that Becky Lynch is the top good guy in the company in general. Maybe behind Roman, maybe not. There's a reason why Seth Rollins is wearing a shirt that says the man's man. It's very progressive. But... If Becky were to turn heel, who are you replacing her with? You gonna make Charlotte a good guy? You gonna try to make Bailey the top good guy? You've already tried that stuff. And I'm not taking anything away from Bailey, but clearly there was an organic build to Becky. So to ask that Becky be turned heel, I think is is ridiculous. It makes no sense. Um You know, AJ Styles winning the United States Championship, I think was a surprise. I think it was cool. I do hope that uh, Ricochet gets his revenge, but I like the club being together, I think, and really, the reason I like the club being together is, number one, AJ was getting tired as a good guy, and number two, and I don't mean physically tired, I mean, I was getting tired of him, and number two, you know, getting to see Gallows and Anderson in a good spot again just brings a smile to my face. Um... I wanted to see Daniel Bryan and Rowan hold on to the tag team championships for a little bit longer, but clearly there is something else in mind for Daniel Bryan, which I am very optimistic about. And, you know, the visual of seeing the New Day dripping with gold is nothing that uh, I'm here to complain about uh, whatsoever. Um, You know, New Day have always been good as tag team champions. Uh, And as far as the Intercontinental title goes, because that was the other point of contention that a lot of people had, uh, of course, it was decided during the kickoff show it was a 10-minute match. It was Nakamura versus Finn Balor. Uh, and people were annoyed that it was as short as it was, and people were annoyed that it was on the kickoff show. Uh, I don't think that that's as much an issue. It, it's okay if it's an issue. Don't get me wrong. Because I'd love to see those guys go in the main event for 60 minutes. I'd love for that to be an Iron Man match. I was smiling. You should have seen me. I was at the kickoff show desk. And when, by the way, When the camera goes back to us at the kickoff show desk and I am smiling ear to ear at Nakamura winning the Intercontinental Championship, that is not a put on whatsoever. I was so excited and shocked to see Nakamura win that title. I was just, I was pumped for it. But realistically, you got to put another match on the kickoff show, right? And that match being on the kickoff show was not for me 
so much an issue with this show as it was with the last several months, right? At least the last month or two. Nakamura and Finn Balor both have been doing nothing. Really, since Finn Balor won the Intercontinental Championship, what has he done on SmackDown? Nothing. What has Nakamura been doing? Nothing. They had one match on SmackDown. It was a great match. Nakamura won the non-title match. It's going to lead to people wanting to see that match. I didn't even think it was going to happen at the pay-per-view at all until I guess they announced it day of. Um, But it's not shocking that that match would be on the kickoff show. It is shocking that that match would be on the kickoff show in the sense that it is a main event anywhere in the country, in the sense that if you if that match happened at the Tokyo Dome, uh, you know, at a certain period of time, it would be the main event. But now you got rumors of Finn Balor taking time off. You haven't been using Finn Balor and Nakamura on TV. You know, it's not a main event match because of the stories that have been told in WWE. And I'm not saying that's positive or negative. I'm just saying that that is not a criticism of the show, Extreme Rules, as much as it is a criticism of the long-term use of Finn Balor and Nakamura. Because based on the long-term use of Finn Balor and Nakamura, those two being on the kickoff show made sense, unfortunately. Like I said, if you had main-evented that show with a 60-minute Iron Man match between the two of them with the Intercontinental title on the line, I'm buying the pay-per-view nine times. Nine times. And I only have four TVs. Three TVs. Two TVs and an iPad. All right, I watched on my phone. But regardless, I only have so many screens. And I'm buying it as many times as you can buy it. I'm so on board with that. But realistically, you know, it made sense. So that was Extreme Rules, uh, I think. Trying to make sure that I didn't uh, forget any other observations that I had about that show uh, as I was watching. Uh, Yeah, uh... I don't think so, but I thought it was a I thought it was a decent show, and you know, I'm really believing Baron Corbin is a main event bad guy. I have to tell you, I am believing Baron Corbin is a main eventer. I'm hooked, hook, line, and sinker. And one of the stipulations was that if Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans lose, they will not get another shot at Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch. But I think that gets thrown out the window, at least for Baron Corbin's sake, because Seth Rollins lost to Brock Lesnar right after the match. So Baron Corbin can definitely get a shot at Brock Lesnar. And I think if Seth Rollins were to beat Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam, I'm sure that you could technically say, well, since this is a new title reign for Seth Rollins, that rule doesn't count so much anymore. You know, I'm pretty sure that that's out the window. I think Lacey Evans is still uh, stuck in the mud, but I think Baron Corbin uh, is good to go. Story number three... This week here on Not Sam Wrestling and on the State of Wrestling is uh, the build-up to SummerSlam. SummerSlam 2019 is happening, um, and after this week on television, uh, we already have several matches, big title matches, that have been announced for, for SummerSlam. We've got the Universal title match, we've got both women's title matches announced, and we have a pretty good idea of what I believe the WWE Championship match is going to be. We can at least guess, right? So the the women's title matches, and the women's title matches are really interesting because it's odd, you know, SummerSlam is one of the big five. Technically, it's one of the big four. I would argue that behind WrestleMania, SummerSlam is the biggest show of the year unless there's a show that's equivalent to or greater than SummerSlam. I would say SummerSlam is the second biggest show of the year. Um, Natalia 
is getting the shot at the Raw Women's Championship. And Ember Moon is getting the shot at the SmackDown Women's Championship. I think clearly the WWE wants to use SummerSlam to kind of uh, build up their women's division and try to let some of the superstars that haven't been shining shine. You know, I mean, I just last week did commentary for an Italian match on main event. And a few weeks before that, when I did main event, it was an Italian match as well then. Actually, it was the same match. It was Natalia versus Tamina. But to now see Natalia be off of main event and in the SummerSlam championship match, I guess it goes to the versatility of Natalia as a performer. Um, you know, I, I do think that there'll be more to both of these women's stories. You know, I think that Natalia always comes through with a good story. I'm hoping that something blossoms between Bailey and Ember Moon. I don't so much want just friendly competition. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a return of Sasha Banks, either at the pay-per-view or right before or something like that. She gets involved. So this isn't just Ember Moon and Bailey, the two best friends that anybody could have, wrestling each other for the SmackDown Women's Championship. And then the Universal Championship match is Brock Lesnar versus Seth Rollins. Uh, no huge shock there. Uh, I'm hoping for Brock Lesnar to retain the thing. You know, I'd like to see Brock Lesnar retain it uh, and hold on to it. I, I think that he's just such a great spoiler, such a great bummer when he wins. Um, but at the same time, you would imagine he's going to play a big part in October, whether it's on SmackDown or whether it's on Raw. You know, that's... I, I would have thought that Brock Lesnar would be on SmackDown, to tell you the truth, just to just to really put that spotlight on the new shows on Fox. Universal title is a Raw property, so who knows where that leads. You know, maybe he actually has to lose it by October so he can show up and challenge Kofi Kingston come October. Um, but I'd still like to see him leave SmackDown with the Universal Championship. And as far as the WWE Championship goes, I would assume and hope that Randy Orton is getting the shot. You know, I think that you have a... Uh, an opportunity to tell a great story between Kofi Kingston and Randy Orton. I think the idea that you can you can play on their history as much as you can uh, hasn't really been done. It's been alluded to a little bit. But I think you can tell a real gritty story, like a real story, a story that feels real between Randy Orton and Kofi Kingston. Like, let's get into the fact that Kofi Kingston was supposed to be in this position a long time ago. Let's get into the stupid, stupid, stupid Randy Orton thing when Kofi Kingston was supposed to, was originally poking his head into the main event scene. You know, let's get into all of it. Let's get into why that storyline didn't happen. And let's make it real. You know, let's talk about was Randy Orton holding Kofi back? Did Randy Orton think Kofi wasn't ready and Kofi resents him for it? Does Randy Orton still think Kofi's not ready and resents Kofi for it? You know, I think that there's a lot of story to be told there. Um, and I'm interested to see how it flushes out. You know, as I look at this and I look at, okay, those are your four major titles. Seth versus Brock is a big match. I mean, they're all, you know, but you got Seth versus Brock, which is a rematch from WrestleMania. Theoretically, Kofi versus Randy. Becky versus Natalia. Bailey versus Ember. I think you're still missing a big match at SummerSlam. Uh, I think you're going to see an Undertaker match at SummerSlam. I think we may see a Drew McIntyre Undertaker match at SummerSlam. I think SummerSlam, it's in Toronto. It's the second biggest show of the year. I think at least one more really big match is going to be added to this show. And probably as soon as next week, because there's not that many weeks before SummerSlam. Uh, let's get into story number two, which is this week's SmackDown. Uh, highs and lows for sure. I think Kevin Owens uh, has been 
doing well. You know, I think that Kevin Owens has been doing good enough that we really have never had an explanation as to why the change of heart. He just kind of dove in, and we believe it. Um, I think they're doing a good job of having the voice of the fan be part of that show in the sense that they're talking about, uh, you know, Shane McMahon getting as much TV time as it, as he gets. You know, I, I think that all things can be forgiven when they're acknowledged. And I love that that's being acknowledged. Um, you know, I think that the town hall segment could have felt a little bit more real. You know, I liked that Liv Morgan got her shot to shine. I liked that Buddy Murphy got his shot to shine and all that stuff. I just, I, I wish that they felt a little less scripted. Um, I like the angle that Buddy Murphy is sucking up to the boss. I, I, I like what Liv Morgan is doing. I'm interested to see how her character evolves. You know, she jumped on, uh, she grabbed dumb Corey Graves' headset off of his head and, and said that when she comes back, it's going to be the real Liv Morgan, which I would assume means no more pink hair, no more blue tongue. Maybe she won't be the uh, juvenile delinquent of the Riot Squad that she once was. Uh, you know, although I really like fun sort of ridiculous, riotous Liv Morgan. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know what will happen there. Um, you had Kevin Owens beat Dolph Ziggler. It's really, I mean, the Kevin Owens is banned from the building, but here he is. Now he's banned, but here he is. He's got a match thing. Like, you got to stop banning Kevin Owens from the building if he's going to be on the show. We've seen it now. Um, but yeah, I, I think that SmackDown is becoming a really interesting show because it's just... So many people are getting built up on SmackDown, and I think it's a, it's it's pretty unpredictable right now um, in terms of who's going to do what, you know, and it, it doesn't feel like uh, maybe a staccato as it has. Like, you can't, it's it's not going da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You can't exactly, like, look at your clock and figure out where things are going, you know? I hope that, uh, that yeah, I, I would think that for the Kofi title, you would do a, Randy Orton, Elias, Samoa Joe, maybe a triple threat next week with the winner getting the title shot, something like that. Um, I, I think that we should get to the Daniel Bryan promo uh, next week. You know, we've seen, I, and I feel like recently, we've seen the, like, it, it feels like Brock Lesnar in the briefcase when Daniel Bryan comes out and then he doesn't talk and then he leaves. He's got to, we're going to hear his announcement and then we don't hear his announcement. Like, you know, Teasing and then not delivering a little bit goes a long way with that. So hopefully next week we do get to hear the announcement because I am, am very interested in where this thing is going. Very, very interested. But SmackDown has left me very interested. And let's move on to the story I'm deeming story number one. Bray Wyatt's back. Bray Wyatt is back. You know, I think some of us were worried because the Firefly Funhouse vignettes had slowed down and we had not seen Bray Wyatt in the ring. However... He showed up on Raw this week, I think, to universally positive reviews. He showed up as the Fiend, wearing the mask. Now, see, that's smart. If Finn Balor had figured out how to wear a mask instead of having to paint his whole body every single time he was the demon, we'd probably see the demon a lot more often. But Bray Wyatt showed up. You know, I love the spotlights in the ring going crazy. The mask looked great. The dreadlocks looked great. I thought that everything was very, very positive about the Bray Wyatt return. And I don't know if... Uh, I, I, I if indeed Finn Balor is taking time off, which is the rumor uh, that I read on the internet today before I started recording this podcast, uh, I hope he makes it to SummerSlam because I think that he'd be perfect if he's leaving anyway for a period of time. He'd be perfect to have Bray Wyatt beat on his way out. You know, a lot of people have been saying like, oh, 
Bray Wyatt should fight Aleister Black. Bray Wyatt should fight this person. Bray Wyatt should fight that person. Bray Wyatt needs to fight somebody who he's definitely going to beat. Bray Wyatt needs to fight somebody that's a credible name, but at the end of the day, it's just an exhibition for Bray Wyatt and this new character. So we can really start to establish the fiend. You know, he needs victories. So, you know, putting him with Aleister Black would be stupid because both of those characters need victories right now. Uh, putting him with Finn Balor, if Finn Balor's going away anyway, I think would be very smart because Finn Balor has a ton of credibility and to have Bray Wyatt kind of dominate him is a very nice spot for Bray Wyatt to be in. I really hope that they bring Bray Wyatt back to where he was at Royal Rumble. It was the one in Philly that Roman Reigns won, I want to say, 2016. Was it 2015? It could have been 2015, actually. Whatever it was. It was either 2015 or 2016. It was in the Wells Fargo Center. And it was the show that Roman Reigns... Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was the year before. Maybe it was 2015. Whatever. The peak of Bray Wyatt's career, that character, was his match against Daniel Bryan at the Royal Rumble. Look it up. It was either... Probably 2015, I want to say. You could tweet me. I want to say 2015. I didn't know I was going to talk about it today. He beat Daniel Bryan at the Royal Rumble that year, and it was great, and he and he felt every bit like a, a not only a main event guy, but a guy who would win main events. That was when it was like, Bray Wyatt is here. That was the peak of Bray Wyatt for me. I would like to see Bray Wyatt get back there. I would like to see Bray Wyatt be a guy who you should be afraid of. And the only reason you should be afraid of a guy is if he beats you. Not only is he scary, but he beats you. I watched the new Annabelle movie, Annabelle Homecoming. I love the whole Conjuring universe. I've seen all the movies in the Conjuring universe, and I actually think I've seen them all in theaters, and I own them all too. I lo- I'm a horror movie guy, and I love the whole Conjuring series. Here was my problem with Annabelle Homecoming, is that at no point, in my opinion, did you feel like the characters were in mortal danger. I at no point felt like the spirits that were chasing the characters had the ability to kill the characters. And if you're running away from something scary, but then you realize that it can't really get you, eventually you stop running. And eventually when they try to scare you, it starts to come across as silly. If Bray Wyatt can't beat you, but he's trying to intimidate you with masks, it's silly. If Bray Wyatt can't beat you, but he's coming out and he's doing the Bray Wyatt thing with the lantern and he's using like gibberish and mumbo jumbo, but he loses all the time, it's silly. It's not scary. You know, it's like you kind of, what are you talking like that for? You can't do anything. But if Bray Wyatt is the fiend and he looks terrifying and he wins, and plus now he's all jacked and he wins because he's doing the muscle man dance and he beats everybody, well, now you got a guy that you should be afraid of. So hopefully that's the, the direction that we're going in with Bray Wyatt. Guys, I appreciate you being a part of this show, as I always do. Don't forget to check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash NotSamWrestling. Uh, watch main event from last week if you haven't already. And then when you're done with that, check Hulu. See if this week's main event episode is up. I'm doing commentary on both. And I would really love, I would really love to hear your feedback on the commentary that I'm doing on main event. Let me know what you think. At Not Sam on Twitter. I will see you next week here on the State of Wrestling as a part of Not Sam Wrestling. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Great.
review and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.